Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Uh, right now, though, let's talk to Lord Andrew Adonis. He's former Labour schools minister and joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Um, we are in a ridiculous situation where hundreds of thousands of young people were sent across the country to go and all live in calls of residence together and, let's face it, party together and go to lectures together. And what a surprise, because no one but everyone could have seen it coming, that uh, we have seen uh, some outbreaks of coronavirus on campus. Uh, we've now got uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of students who are now uh, being forced to self-isolate. I think you know, 3,000 in total across England and Scotland, particularly in Manchester, Edinburgh, uh, and Glasgow. Um, how, how should this be being handled? Should university students have gone back at all? I'm not in favour of, uh, of trapping people at home when uh, it, it appears to be safe for them to go back to uni. And I think we've held back the education system too much over the last few months. And that's done a huge amount of damage both to the learning of young people, but also to their mental health and, and their future prospects. What must happen, of course, is that we must take the safest option at every stage. That means that there must be proper test and trace available at every university so that if there's any fear of an outbreak or an outbreak, people can be tested immediately. We must also see that people have flexible options when it comes to accommodation, because one of the things that worrying me at Manchester Met and some of the other places where we've had the outbreaks is that students are tied into expensive accommodation rental contracts, either with their universities or with private rental firms who run the accommodation for the university. And therefore, if they are clear, but clearly at serious risk because of an outbreak of, of getting the infection, they don't have the option to go home, often in practical terms. And if they haven't gone to uni yet, and a whole slew of university students haven't yet arrived at uni, they're doing so over the next week or two, they don't have the option to say, hey, actually, we'd be better off staying at home and doing distance learning rather than going into a potential uh, COVID crisis. So I think universities have to really get their skates on now and provide a much better service for students, both on test and trace and on flexible accommodation contracts, which means that students and their parents can make decisions which well, are in, well, in this their is best it. I mean, if you're going to have, you know, if you're basically going to be trapped in your room and you're going to have virtual lectures, you're not allowed to go and do any of the socialising and join the clubs and all the activities and the other things, let's face it, the students get up to, you may as well have stayed home and done an open university course online 
um, and and not paid a fortune and maybe even actually you know being able to maybe carry on working or getting a job to pay you and not be in what's what's it on average 50 grand's worth of debt when you leave university um, there's going to be a lot of demands that the universities do basically stump up some of this cash isn't there because the, let's face it the universities were desperate to get everyone back because they were desperate for the money but they they're not actually providing what the university students have paid for well, some universities are and some aren't. I mean, let's be let, let's be frank about this. It needs to be horses for courses. Uh, some universities are providing uh, uh, small group tuition, which is within the rules. So you are actually getting a real uh, physical educational experience. Some are opening their libraries in a safe way. Some are opening their labs in a safe way. Some are giving flexible accommodation contracts. I uh, applaud all of the universities which are going overboard to do those things. Your point though is completely right, Julia. Where those things aren't being provided or where students are tied into expensive accommodation contracts where they often have to pay in advance, then this is putting uh, profit and the financial interests of the university before the either the education experience of the students or their well-being, and that is unacceptable. And I think what's needed is is a, a proportionate response where where universities are, are delivering what they should be delivering, and it's safe to do so. That's fine. The financial uh, deal is the same as now. Mm -hmm. Where that's not happening, and students are either being shortchanged or it's simply not safe for them to go in halls of residence, then just as almost every other organisation in the country has to has had to feel some pain and and, and take some pressure as, as a result of this crisis. So should universities. Well, indeed, and we know there's lots of lecturers and the lecturers' union, which is a fairly a fairly left wing union, um, that they're they're arguing that their, their their staff shouldn't actually have to do any lessons at all in, in person, and basically saying they shouldn't have to. Do their job but of course we sent teachers back into schools now we know of course as that as youngsters get older the risk to each other and the risk uh, to the teachers they're in contact with does rise so you know nursery primary school pupils virtually zero risk it does rise as children get older the fundamental thing this all comes down to and you mentioned this earlier the test and trace a test and trace system where um, there is an outbreak at a school and I've seen it at my daughter's school I mean say one year has been sent home a couple of a, a, a few days ago a, a bunch of girls in my daughter's year sent home this week for two well for two weeks and we're seeing it with universities locking down for two weeks if we had a test and trace system where everyone could just instantly gain access to tests and we could test everyone every three days if there was an outbreak we'd know who got it we know who need to isolate be able to narrow it down we'd find out quickly it wouldn't spread everything about this government's policy was predicated on you can get back to work to school to university to normal life but we're going to have a test and trace system in place which means that we can isolate any cases and the fewest number of people possible at any one time will be forced to isolate um, that's simply not working is it now that is the big problem at the moment and uh, you know it's been a, a long-running crisis in germany they have walk-in centers literally you can walk in and be tested they sh these should be available in every university obviously where you've got large congregations of people who is absolutely right that they're all there providing it can be done safely we want people to be engaged in learning if it can be done safely as you say in schools and in universities then it's absolutely important that alongside that is a proper test and trace system, which is operational now. And it mystifies me that it's not, but I think the, the government needs to be working with universities really closely uh, over the coming days to see that starting in the places where there have been the outbreaks, but then across the whole of the university system, there is proper test and trace, and not just it theoretically available, but walk-in centres so that every student in every university could, within you know a few hours, 
go into a, a test center and get a test. We can't expect, you mentioned uh, lectures later in, earlier. In my experience, most lecturers do want to do their job and, and most are doing um, physical learning as well as uh, online learning. But we can't expect them to do that unless the deal with the state is that they can get tested and traced, that there can be a proper tracing facility immediately. This needs to be a partnership. At the moment, the government is falling down badly on its side of the bargain. Um, is, is the Labour opposition doing its job, though? Uh, Keir Starmer said a few days ago that he would support any measures the government brought in. Is that the job of an opposition, to support any measures before we... I mean, if the Prime Minister decided, sort of, you know, we'll, we'll bring in the army and we'll shoot on sight anyone who's caught breaking quarantine or self-isolation, would the Labour Party support that? Any measure that's brought in? Well, what uh, the Labour Party has been calling for is uh, acceleration of test and trace. The problem when you're on opposition, of course, is that you can't actually deliver anything. All you can use is words. And I think what Keir Starmer has been saying is right, which is the government really needs to get its act together at dealing with the crisis. And the thing that he's been most firm about is for months now, uh, as has Tony Blair, who's been out there, you know, a lot of people who aren't in government but know how government works, is they've been calling for test and trace. I don't think we should make this a partisan issue. What we need is test and trace actually delivered. I don't mind whether it's delivered by Andy Burnham as the Labour Mayor of Manchester or the government in London, whatever. It just needs to be delivered. And at the moment, it doesn't, uh, uh, isn't coming close to having a system on a par with the best continental systems. And that is what's making it so problematic to get our educational institutions first and then the wider economy working properly, okay. which is what we all need to see happen as soon as possible. Thank you very much, Lord Andrew Dernis, former Labour Schools Minister. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Let's talk to one of those MPs, and that is David Davis, uh, Conservative MP, former Brexit Secretary, of course, and one of the co-signatories on that Brady Amendment. Good morning to you, David. Good morning. Um, how important is it to you and why that uh, MPs, that Parliament gets to have a say on new lockdown measures? Oh, massively important. I mean, the, the big uh, piece of legislation, which we are now sort of uh, revisiting, uh, came up in March. And at that point, I said, this is ridiculous. You can't have this uh, unamended for two years, which was the original proposal. Uh, and it's important for a lot of reasons. It's important to, to hold the government to account, but it's also important to improve the quality of the government's decision making. I mean, the last six months has demonstrated in terms that not having to come to the House, not having to your civil servants prepare for every possible option and question, not having to respond to the House, members of the House of Commons saying, well, what about Mrs. Miggins in my constituency whose elderly parent doesn't fit in this ca characteristic? or my small businesses or somebody with disabled children, all the little tiny bits of very, very important detail uh, that attach to any serious piece of legislation, it's all been missed. And so the government's made loads of mistakes. And, and this know? is and it. We, we've seen uh, you know, constantly rules are brought in, which we discover since, like the rule of six, 10pm curfew on bars, restaurants and pubs, which apparently have had no input from SAGE, the supposedly the science body advising the government on whether it have any effect. We've seen what's happened with universities, childcare rules, whether the grandparents would be allowed to be involved or not, or, or all, these, all these other issues. There doesn't seem to have been anyone in government going, oh, w what about this? And is that yeah. is that basically the role of MPs? In which case, this is not necessarily about stopping a lot of these measures coming in. It's about making them more sensible and, I suppose, workable. 
Well, it's about two or three things. Firstly, it's about making sure they are based on evidence. Um, I mean, I fear, uh, because we are hearing all these things, the 10 o'clock rule, the, the, the rule of six and so on, uh, appear to have absolutely no empirical data behind them, no 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 scientific data behind them. But what you read in the newspapers, things like this, I mean, this is this morning's paper. A senior government source said the nation, the party, wasn't ready for us to go any further last week. There wasn't a wide enough understanding of how substantial a second wave could be. What he's talking about is opinion polls. You know, that, and if what's happening is the government is essentially running the so-called scientific policy by opinion poll and focus group, then Parliament would have found that out months ago if it had been properly challenged. So that's the first thing. The second thing, as I say, is getting it right. And the third thing, if, you know, if the government hasn't got it right, it's stopping it doing it. The difficulty we've had in this country, we had a huge lockdown, and I think we've probably got amongst the worst uh, outcome in the world in terms of reduction of of disease there was very little reduction of disease in the last lockdown might have been some but it wasn't much uh and there was huge economic impact uh and so that's the worst of all worlds you know what we're trying to do is get the most disease impact and the minimum economic impact the minimum impact on your daily lives and And that's what parliament would have delivered there is a very big debate going on in the country we know in parliament and indeed we're particularly in the conservative party at the moment uh, and a lot of us in the media about whether or not the lockdown measures actually end up not just costing the livelihoods of people but the lives but the government's own officials have now drawn up a document that emerged this weekend showing that they they expect 75,000 lives to be lost as a result of lockdown in terms of people not seeking medical treatment from the NHS, being having delayed cancer treatment and the like, uh, suicide uh, as a, and, and long-term health impacts of people losing their jobs. We know mass unemployment is a major impact, has a major impact on people's uh, health and their lives. Um, and yet we've lost 42,000 lives to COVID and often virtually I mean, vast, vast majority of those being people who were in their very, very late stages of life anyway, whether el- they're through elderly, yeah. uh, to their old age or, or uh, other illnesses. Has the government made the right trade-off here? And do you think the government is in danger of continuing uh, to, to make trade-offs, which perhaps long-term are going to cost more lives than they will save? Well, the, the, the best test of this is to look at what other countries have done. And uh, so you look at someone like Germany, which has done a very good job. And this is one of the problems of this. I don't think the government's sort of looking sideways uh, at what's happening elsewhere. And, and take take the lockdown. I mean, you know, you've had these regional lockdowns in the northeast of England, uh, pretty much all of Greater Manchester and so on. And compare them with what happens in Germany. When Germany has a lockdown, it's one village. It can be one block of flats. And, and even then they had they had a court case re- reducing the size of lockdown. But it's very, very tough. So on one occasion, they actually had a lockdown of a block of flats, and they surrounded the block of flats with policemen until they got it all sorted out. Uh, whereas we have a lockdown for Greater Manchester. You, you, you know, you, you, if you have a lockdown for 7 million people or whatever it was, then some people are going to break the lockdown. So it's not actually going to work very effectively. Okay. And that's my concern, that the practicalities, the lessons that other countries could teach us have not been learned. And again... If we brought it to Parliament, people would say this, you know. Okay, but let's. You've got uh, tiny well, little group of people. We're yeah. going to have to move on. I just, I, I'm yeah. going to take a lot of this up with the Health Minister Helen Wheatley. We're going to talk to you in just one moment. Just finally and briefly, if you would, Brexit talks resume for the 57th millionth time to, to, uh, tomorrow uh, between Lord David Frost on our side and Michel Barnier on the EU side. There's a lot of talk now that there is hope of a deal about to be made. How hopeful are you? 
Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to be boring and repeat what I say on your program every time. The last three weeks matter matters more than the first three years. They were never going. They were never going to budge until the last minute, uh, and yeah, and until we got a bit tough with them. You know, we've been too soft with them for far too long. Uh, I think David Frost has played the blinder, frankly. I think he's done very well. Uh, I don't think the government handled the sort of breaking international law stuff terribly cleverly, but that's that's by the by. Uh, the truth is they had to toughen up uh, the approach. The more tough we are, the more grim, the more the bigger the screams from Brussels, the more likely we are to get a deal. And so at the moment, I think it's actually quite likely. Well, I've always thought it's quite likely we'll get a deal. I put it sort of 60-40, in favour of a deal, okay. a workable deal before the end of the year. David Davis, as always, uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us, uh, former Brexit Secretary, Conservative MP. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times of the government decision making and what does actually come into force if we did have MPs overseeing things? Uh, yes, I think it would. And even in the in the cases where it changes nothing, where the, the same outcome would happen, the only outcome that we should even be expected to accept is one where Parliament's had a look at it. I think I like democracy so much. I like Parliament having a look at it, even if it's um, going to come up with a solution I would have agreed with from the start. So I, I'm all in favour of it. Why are we... Why are we not letting things be uh, put through Parliament to be held to account? OK, thank you very much indeed right now. Well, let's talk to the Health Minister with special responsibility for care. And that's Helen Waitley who joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, do you think that a parliamentary scrutiny of a government lockdown and other restrictions would improve or uh, uh, basically um, make worse uh, any of the government's plans? As a member of parliament, I clearly think parliamentary scrutiny is a really important part of our uh, democracy. And what I'll say is that over the last few uh, few weeks, through the months of the pandemic, uh, that feels like there has actually been a huge amount of parliamentary scrutiny. I've lost count of the number of statements that the Secretary of State for Health has made and urgent questions that he's made to parliament and answered hundreds of questions from members of parliament. Similarly, the Prime Minister has 
made statements and other ministers have as well and answered questions. Um, and also the uh, changes to, to the regulations have indeed been debated as well. So there has been significant scrutiny. And of course, there should be scrutiny going forward. Well, I mean, scrutiny, asking questions and uh, and getting to debate things is not the same. I get to ask questions to ministers doesn't mean I get to have a say over any measure that happens. And of course, we tend not to have any discussion either in the media or indeed uh, um, in Parliament until after something has been announced. This time round, it looks like we might get some early warning. The Times reports today that an emergency lockdown plan to ban socialising is on the cards across most of northern Britain, potentially London as well. Mr. Sadiq Khan seems desperate to lock down the capital city, um, effectively uh, looking at uh, uh, all pubs, restaurants and bars being ordered to shut completely, forget the 10pm curfew, completely shut for two weeks initially, households banned from meeting each other in indoor locations. Um, How much scrutiny are we going to have of that and how much science is there to back up the demand for that from the government? Well, there is a debate on coronavirus in Parliament today, and no doubt that will be discussed there. And, and what I will say about uh, th- that story that you're, you're talking about is that, of course, we have to look at what restrictions you know, may, may be needed. But we have recently uh, put in the rule of six and uh, tightened up on several restrictions and, as is much covered today in the media, um, uh, tightening up enforcement. And we've done that because we're seeing the rates of COVID rising. We had the briefing from the chief medical officer last week about the very serious situation of rising rates and rising hospitalisation of people as well. And we know that that can very sadly lead to more deaths from COVID. So this is a moment in time where we have to bring it under control and the government will take what action is necessary to do so. Okay, but again, we we know the whole point of bringing in measures is to have them work. We had the rule of six brought in. Uh, Within a week, uh, we had the 10pm curfew brought in and and we may well see other measures brought in really soon. We're never getting a chance to see which of these measures actually works, are we? Because if you, you, we know there's a a three week lag in terms of, you know, whether or not whether whether people have started obeying a rule and and whether or not that leads to saving people's lives. Um, in which case we're never going to know which measures work. We're never going to go through that learning experience, which other countries have done by bringing in measures three weeks at a time. So and we also know that an awful lot of these measures, like the 10pm curfew, never even put to SAGE. They never even were asked. The, the scientific advisory group, uh, who are supposed to actually be examining whether or not a, a policy could save lives or not, they were never even asked. Perhaps if they were, they might have pointed out that people would just leave all the pubs at 10 o'clock, they'd be back on the streets and they'd be mixing and mingling and going home and mixing and mingling there and just as much at risk and that the policy was utterly ridiculous in terms of saving no lives but costing many thousands of businesses their livelihoods. Um, I mean, what what scrutiny is actually happening scientifically and medically of government policy right now? Okay, so I, I'll just try and unpick some of the things in uh, what you just, just said there. Um, so one thing that has happened over the last few weeks and months is that we have seen in parts of the country there have been uh, higher rates of COVID. So, for instance, in in August, we saw the rates go up in Leicester, as one example, and extra measures were introduced. And you're right, there was a lag. But then we saw the rates come down in Leicester again. So people made the sacrifices that unfortunately these restrictions involve. And then there was the impact and the rates come down. So we have seen where we've been able to do these localised responses the impact of the measures. One really valuable source of information to us is the test and trace system. So it's hugely important that people um, 
when they're tested positive and they provide the contact details uh, and that helps break the chains of transmission. But the other thing from the test and trace system is that it provides us with information about how the virus is spreading. So we know, for instance, that in some places it's been particularly spread in in people's homes and when there have been social gatherings in people's homes. And that's one reason why in the parts with higher rates in the, the north of England, one of the particular restrictions has been to say you can't gather with people outside your own household in your home because that's where we've seen uh, the, the, the reports of that's where people are getting but the infection. We, but so we actually know these, the, the virus is mostly spread at home in people's own families. Well, of course, the, the number one uh, place where you're likely to get it is from somebody you're living with because you're in closest contact. Uh, and if you weren't in contact with any other household, then it, it, it wouldn't it simply wouldn't spread between households. But unfortunately, the people do need to to have contact. People do need to, to still go, for instance, to work. So you, 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 what we have to do is is the wider social distancing measures so that we can still get on with life as much as possible while controlling. Okay. It. Um, and is it tenable to lock down tens of thousands of students, but not lock down our care homes? So young people who have virtually no chance of needing to go to hospital, let alone of dying of coronavirus, uh, being told to sort of lock down and self-isolation for, for weeks on end, uh, while our care homes are seeing an outbreak of uh, of cases and the only measure as far as I can tell that's new is that your boss Matt Hancock the health secretary is going to send 11,000 iPads in for dementia patients to use to talk to their families I don't know if you've been in any care homes lately but I'm not sure that's going to be much use um, is it really tenable to have a policy that locks down young healthy people while failing to protect the elderly so I'll, I'll talk about students first and then I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come to, to, to care homes um, so with students, where, where we've got students going, going back to university or starting university for the first time, and we want students to be able to have the best possible university experience, while, of course, there are restrictions. So, so for, for most students, we want them to be able to you know, be having some face-to-face tuition, yes, some tuitions online, uh, to be socially mixing, but, but socially distanced, uh, and for that to be you know, still a good experience, if not all the fun that you'd have when we're not in a, in a pandemic. But we have got the situation where in some universities you've got outbreaks and like in any essentially household where you've got somebody uh, who's got symptoms or who's tested positive the students if they have symptoms need to go and get a test um, and, and then the household that they're with or you know, the group that they're with uh, in, in, in halls which have been divided up effectively into to households does need to isolate because that's how you control the outbreak and you say well students you know, aren't much at risk so I'll say a couple of things one is unfortunately Although you know, the vast, you know, the majority, particularly of young, fit, healthy people, get COVID as a mild case, we're seeing in some this thing called long COVID, which means that after you've recovered, unfortunately, you still continue to get some yeah. really yeah, um, unpleasant yeah. health effects. Let's lock down a country because people feel unwell. I mean, this is an absurd yeah. argument. Well, okay. I, I think actually from some of the people I've heard from who have this thing called long COVID, I mean, literally find they can't get out of bed weeks later. I, I wouldn't so let's say lock it's... down a country because some so, people can't get out of bed. Genuinely, is that a government policy now? No, well, no, that's an absolutely not what exactly. I said. Is, is exactly. There's it's, it's irrelevant. Where, it's very, very well, sad, but it's irrelevant. There are lots of people who can't get out of bed right now because so they're not getting I, cancer treatment, Helen, with all due respect. Can I, can I just answer? Well, the second part of your question was about care homes. And we 
CabinetAid and are taking huge steps to, to protect care homes, which includes supplying them with PPE, giving them a further 500 million of funding to uh, cover the extra cost of infection prevention control. So, for instance, have staff only working in one place mm-hmm. rather than between care homes, which we know is one uh, cause of the spread of the disease. But there is a connection between the students, actually, and, and the care homes, which is if we see COVID rates increase in our communities, well, care home staff live in communities. They have children. Um, they may have children who are students. Um, they, they, they have to go out and about in their lives. There is a greater risk that they themselves may catch COVID. And you know, despite all their best efforts, all the use of PP, all the infection prevention control, when you have staff with COVID, that means greater risk to the but residents. This so that is one down, reason why. But this all comes down to test and trace, you. doesn't it? It all comes down. To, if you're able to test and trace all the you know, kids at school, the teachers, test and trace uh, the students immediately, test and trace uh, all of the... Uh, uh, the, the staff working in care homes. This would all be resolved because you'd be able to identify people very quickly. And if you had a test, which frankly was was worth the paper it's printed on, which there are big question marks about, you'd have to test every single positive test twice to be sure they were actually positive because of the false positive rate. If we had such a test and we carried it out on that basis, we'd be able to do all of this. But does this not all fundamentally come down to the abject failure of this test and trace system? Well, actually, I completely disagree both with your comments about the accuracy of the test, which is highly accurate. Uh, and also about the test, uh, testing system, where we've gone up from March, where we had 2,000 tests a day, to now over 200,000 tests a day. Specifically in care homes, following the guidance from SAGE and the clinical experts, we are testing care home staff weekly. That's a lie. That's not happening in most care homes. I know, I've got an aunt in a care home. She herself has had two tests the entire time, the whole six months, and the care well, home staff have not been tested weekly. That is simply not true, Minister. So, 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 so the, 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 we, are, we are providing over 100,000 tests a day to care homes so they can test weekly. Uh, and for some care homes where if they're not testing their staff weekly, local authorities or the public are working with them to increase those testing rates. Many care homes are testing their staff weekly and their residents every 28 days. It's, it's um, a bit harder with residents, particularly those who have dementia, who can find it upsetting and confusing. But the critical thing is with the staff. But what we are also seeing from those testing results is a significant proportion of the staff who test positive actually don't have symptoms, which is why, yes, the testing is really important, but you will always have a period of time in between the weekly tests, for instance, where there is a risk somebody might be positive but not realise it. And that's why keeping the rates down across the whole community is so important. All right, we'll leave it there. I know you have to go. Helen Waitley, Health uh, Minister, Responsibility for Care. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.